Welcome to Pushing Through. I am Tate Frazier, and it is Friday, June 12, 2020, and we are back with the timeline. And I am joined, as always, with the kid, BJ Armstrong, with the D on his chest for Detroit. Ah. What's up, BJ? How you doing? Hey, Tate, you know, it's Friday. There's a lot of things going on. It's a lot mm-hmm. for us to get to. So uh, with no further uh, talking here, let's let's get right into it. Let's get right into it because uh, we're living in a wild world right now, BJ. There's a lot going on, like you said. When you first said it was Friday, I remember the first show that we did. It we called it Another Friday in L.A. and it was Friday, and we didn't have shit to do, and it was just <laughs> <laughs> and it was just a casual day. You know, we were just hanging out, having a good time, and obviously we got more things to talk about. And we got one of the iconoclasts of our time, I believe, a man that just won the Mark Twain Award. Last night, late last night, he put out to the world his special to YouTube. Dave Chappelle, of course, who I'm talking about, uh, 846. And BJ, you and I both, we both watched it last night. And, and what were your thoughts on uh, on Chappelle's special? And obviously, it was great to hear his thoughts on everything that's going on in the world. Wow, that's a big one. Yep. And um, a good friend of mine would always say to me, humor is the first signs of intelligence. Mm-hmm. And that was my initial thought as I'm watching Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle, you know, we throw this word around a lot, genius, you know, this guy's a genius, this Mm -hmm. guy or this person. You know, the range of emotions of watching that show, episode, what have you, special, was incredible because you went from laughing hysterically to anger, to reflection. He just took you through these vast range of emotions that were just incredible. And truly, Dave Chappelle, I've had numerous opportunities to see him perform live. He's truly a genius, mm-hmm. truly. That, that was incredible as he's able to talk and speak on something as significant as this in a way that only he could pull that off. Bravo to him. I thought it was great. And uh, what he said was much needed. And um, I was truly entertained as well by getting his words of wisdom within the laughter. I thought it was an incredible, incredible um, form of entertainment by Dave Chappelle once again. And it was a historical moment, right? Dave Chappelle let the world know this is the first concert we've had, the first gathering we've had, you know, during this COVID-19 crisis, you know, and, uh, you know, he, they put up how long it had been since he had been on the stage. And like you said, it was a, we talk about speaking your truth. Dave Chappelle told his truth to the world um, via the lens of George Floyd and the eight minute and 46 second, the video that we all saw in this world. And it was a a, a saga and it was the American saga. Dave Chappelle has always been a historian and, and the way he's been able to shape and tell stories has always been great. And there was one little sidebar uh, before we move on. I had to tell you about, I was watching becoming uh, the Michelle Obama Netflix uh, documentary. And and the first date that Barack Obama went on, he told the story where there were two movies that he had to choose between. It was driving Miss Daisy. uh, And it was do the right thing. And uh, he said that he knew if he chose driving Miss Daisy, he would not be dating Michelle anymore. Um, So he chose do the right thing. 
and and I found that a nice little uh, you know segue into the Chappelle special because he said he was silent you know for a couple of weeks on the George Floyd. He didn't watch the yep. video for a week, and uh, he kind of made the statement that he wanted to to sit back and go for the ride. He has seen this story. He this was his history. He grew up on this. Everything you're learning or people were learning about Emmett Till, these are stories that he grew up on. And right. he said, uh, you know, he's sitting in the back of the car for the young people, and it That's made me right. think of driving Miss Daisy. And uh, the do the right thing of this, right, BJ, is for the young people to be driving that car and let, you know, the Dave Chappelle's, the BJ Armstrong's of the world, the, the people that have been, uh, ha- you know, in positions that have not been, uh, let's just say, fortuitous. Uh, let's let them sit back and let's let people uh, get on the front lines for them. And uh, I think that was a powerful, powerful message. Couldn't agree more, my friend. Another powerful message that we have uh, from the basketball world comes from a man that we talked about in the last episode. And uh, his name is Jokic, or the Joker, as a lot of people call him. And the message that he's sending is, he's lean, mean, and ready to play, BJ. What do you think about the Joker? He's lost a lot of weight. He looks like Kristaps Porzingis. I need more. I need more time to talk about this. You know, I, 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 I have been like many. Mm-hmm. I love him. I love watching him play. I love the way he plays. You know, he's he's fun to watch, right? I mean, yeah. he's passing the ball. He's whipping the ball around. But I was so disappointed, like many, when he came back to camp mm-hmm. this year, especially after having a great year last season. I believe he was an all-NBA player. Yep. And to know what that can do physically to your body. Right. You're 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 pounding your body like that unnecessarily. It's it's tough enough to go out and play a hundred something games um, the way that you play. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're adding 30, 40 extra pounds on for what? You know, what is that mm-hmm. doing? Mm-hmm. The way he's come back in the, the pictures. I, I have to respect it because what he's saying is the game means something to me. Mm-hmm. The game means something. And uh, I, I was so happy. I, I'm just happy for him. I, I was already a Joker fan. Now I am all in because now you know it means something to him. Mm-hmm. He, he confronted himself. He looked at himself in the mirror. And uh, I'm excited to see if this new physical presence that he has, I don't even know how to, how to term it now. How will he play? Because I'm used to watching him play and move around in a certain way. But congrats to him. I'm I'm happy for him, and uh, hopefully, you know, this allows him to to reach his true potential and true greatness as a player. Because he's one of the great players in the league today. As long as he can throw that butt around and uh, and create some space, he'll be all right. I'm, that's the only thing I'm worried about, BJ. <laughs> I, I hope he can figure that out. Tate, uh, this week. There was a little sweating going on in the video world, and Zion was on the cover sweating. I know you have something to say about this. I don't play video games, for the record, but I know you may. What are your thoughts about this, my friend? I, uh, I just want to think, first off, uh, you think when you think of Zion and sweating, you immediately think Tate's going to want to see this. So I, 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 Tate, they made this cover just for you. And so when I, I want to know your thoughts. So when I first saw it, immediately, I didn't know it was for 2K21. First off, I didn't even know it was a video game. I thought it was actually Zion. And I thought it was a live look at Zion getting prepared to testify against Coach K and Duke. Uh, and I was like, oh, my goodness. They got the man sweating. This poor kid. Don't make him testify. I found out it was a video game. 
game after the fact. Uh, I'm excited for Zion. The little the little video he did leading up reminded me of something that I think a young Mike Jordan would have done, um, where he's just like basically reading these canned lines, not get, not just just smiling like he's very excited to be on the video game, but not saying much more. Um, and then in the video game itself, it's just Zion dunking. And uh, that's what people want to see. And, and Zion, like, hopefully we see him actually play real basketball very soon. But this is, uh, I think this builds a, a bright future for Zion, the video game version. And uh, I hope that, uh, you know, th- these are good things to come for Zion. Are you sweating right now? Are, are, I am sweating. <laughs> All I can think about is Coach K right now, thinking about this, this whole thing going on. It, it, it's a storm. I can't wait. All right, BJ, and we got another uh, more drama uh, as we talk about the NBA and Disney World and the things that are going on. We got more players coming out. We we talked about this, you know, for the past couple episodes as as they've been trying to finalize plans. But now we got more players coming out. Dwight Howard, one of those guys, apparently uh, in in the group that Matt Barnes, you know, admitted that the Lakers and the Clippers have said that you know they were thinking about maybe not going. The NBA is come up with an idea that basically if you don't want to go, you just don't take payment. Um, j- just looking from the outside looking in, BJ, uh, the players, I mean, Kyrie Irving has come out. Did, did you expect the players to voice this? I think it's good to see the players come out and at least, you know, have a voice in the matter uh, for what's going to go ahead for the season. You know, we'll take, um, you know, you and I have talked on air and off air about this for weeks now. I think, as I've stated to you many times, this is an opportunity for us, and I say us, all of us, everyone, myself included, to display a level of leadership that's needed as we guide through these uncharted territories. Now is what we're going to see more than anything is our leadership. And whatever it is we decide to do, right? In this case, we're talking about the NBA is let's do it in a unified way to where all, right? We're all can participate in the decision-making process that will affect all of us as we move forward, whatever that may be, mm-hmm. whatever that may be. So, you know, the first part of getting to cooperation is communication. And these are conversations that from what I can see looking from afar should have already have taken place. I mean, all of the players who will be participating, whether they are one of the 22 teams or not, all of their futures will be impacted moving forward. Mm-hmm. The owners will be moving forward, the league. So whatever it is they need to do, is this is an opportunity for us to display what is needed as we navigate these moments. This is a moment in time that we will all remember. And the only way we're gonna get through this is with leadership. So whatever is going on now is where the leaders and the leadership needs to come be an example and let's figure out what we're going to do because we're all going to be impacted by this, whether we play, whether we don't play. And more importantly, what is this going to happen once we're able to participate in sports and get back to whatever our new normal is going to be? Yeah, and the new normal is ever evolving, ever changing, and that's what's happening with these conversations. And you know, some of the players that have come out said that they want to just understand the details of the bubble um, right. and, and the concerns. That, that the top three concerns were family, uh, the, the coronavirus was the third, you know, prior concern, and then just the the ability to be able to move in and out. 
of the actual bubble. All these things are, are being discussed. Like you said, the players are figuring out those details. And I think you made you made the exact point that it is. Whatever decision is made, it needs to be a unified decision so yes. that everyone is moving in the same direction. So no matter what, everyone knows where the league is and where they stand on, on what the decision is. And they all are together. And I think that's and, what really and, matters. And take not to cut you off, but there has to be in this moment, because there these are very uncertain times, there has to be complete transparency from all. Right. Mm -hmm. What is it that we all know so that we all can have as great of an informed decision as we can possibly have? Mm -hmm. The players, they are the ones who are actually playing. There should be concerns. Right. I have kids. You know, I have a family, you know, before my kids go back to school. Well, my wife and I are going to want to know all of the details that we can possibly gather mm -hmm. that the school knows that we know. Put it all out there on the table before we make an informed decision. So to me, this is going through the process, the due diligence that's necessary. But for whatever reason, there seems to be a lack of communication. At least it appears to be on the outside. I don't know. I'm not there. So I think the transparency that's needed, this is good. If you're going to get to the cooperation, you have to communicate first. So anytime people are talking, I'm good with it. And then let's see how this plays out. But um you know, we're going to definitely need leadership at this moment because, um, you know, none of us know. Good news on the NBA front uh, as it relates to the political world and the things that are going on. LeBron James announces a, a voting initiative um, with, a, with a bunch of NBA and basketball players. Uh, Skylar Diggins as well is involved in this. Trey Young. Um, it, it, that is obviously good to see. You talk about being a unified front. It's good to see the basketball world unified, wanting to make a difference together. Right, PJ? You know, look. As you know, Tate, um, I'm all about awareness, consciousness, bringing awareness to our future, to the future of our of our kids, to the future of what this world and country could look like. So um, I think this is a great initiative. I think it's a great start. And anytime you utilize your platform to engage people in positive thoughts and positive things where you can see how it will impact not just one person or one community, but us all. And, um, you know, th these are tough choices. And uh, if we're going to get to and live up to all of the things that we're trying to be and all of the things that we're, you know, in this country that we say, then this is one of the initiatives that's definitely needed that we all can participate in and to play our part. So uh, I think it's great. I think it's great by those uh, young people who are participating in it. But again, it's going to include all of us. And, um, um, you know, I, I applaud anything that brings awareness to something that will directly have an impact on all of our lives. So, uh, you know, bravo to those people. Absolutely. And uh, if we have to, you know, there was another crazy idea that was thrown out in the same vein. You talk about, you know, th this is the rational side. We, we vote, we create this, we try to make change, we learn, we inform ourselves. But then the wild side is Twitter and uh, a representative who was in the, the representative Joe Kennedy put out to the world uh, via Twitter. The NFL should apologize to Colin Kaepernick and the Patriots <laughs> should sign him as their starting quarterback. That seems like a message, right? That, that, that seems like <laughs> <laughs> who's going to tell Bill Belichick? Yeah, that? yeah, yeah. You know what's you know what's funny, Tate is uh, I love your generation mm -hmm. because everything has a message. You yes. know, you know, my generation was say what you mean and mean what you say. Your generation, I have to decode it. 
So if I, <laughs> you know, what you just said to me is like, so like, if you do something, mm-hmm. what does it really mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's it's like these hidden. It's like of, oh yeah 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 like, and then my generation like what what we're looking around like what happened? Yeah, you were just why, why are they freaking you, out? Yeah yeah yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like it's like some code. Uh, <laughs> You know, I, I think this? it's called. I think it's called being passive aggressive. I think and the millennials are very. Yeah. They're very passive aggressive. How about signing the best quarterback that's going to try to help you win a game? But you can't be that. No, you got to be having a hidden meeting behind it. You know. No, it's got to be Cam Newton. See if it's yeah. Cam Newton, then I'm like, <laughs> then I'm all in. That's what it really. So, uh, but no, I, I, I it, it's funny. There's so much that's been written, so much has been said. But mm-hmm. all jokes aside, the initial, you know, Kaepernick stance was the stance of. You know, we just want to bring light to, you know, equality, justice here. And that was it. And now we can see, you know, what has transpired um, as we move forward. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, much has been said about it. You know, we don't want to continue to harp, but it's much needed. And we have to all play our part. So now it's here. We got to participate. Do what what is absolutely necessary, but more importantly, um, we all have to do the right thing here. And the right thing is, um, you know what? You know, if we're gonna do, if we if we're gonna say all of these things, if we're gonna stand for all these things and everything. Then here's our opportunity to do the right thing, mm-hmm. all of us. Mm-hmm. And um, I I don't think it's you don't need me to spell it out. I think we all. It's just like it's something that we all understand mm-hmm. but now we just have to do it so um you know every single day i think we have an opportunity to get closer and closer to that goal of saying you know we see each other and how mm-hmm. we're going to treat one another and how we expect to be treated and um that's you know it's kind of like the golden rule you know you treat people with respect if mm-hmm. you want that respect to come back to you mm-hmm. and um you know that's it's just a little small thing that um you know that i i don't, I don't think is any grandiose idea mm-hmm. treat people with respect mm-hmm. <laughs> like everybody wants to be treated with respect yeah and uh it's funny i can wrap it all the way back up to the movie that we were talking about earlier do the right thing and in that scene mookie's talking to the mayor and the, and the, and the mayor's basically saying you know all you gotta do is do the right thing and he's like that's it and he's like that's it that's, that's all you it. gotta do that's, that's it. it it's that simple all right bj and final one uh for the day before we get to our coach tom thibodeau interview uh, that we have coming up we we have a, a game that midas our producer wanted us to play um midas do you want to set this up that this is this is a fun game it's what's your sign is the name of this you know fellas i was out at the rallies here in uh, in la over the weekend and uh saw so many beautiful signs what an impactful and concise way to get your message across so i figured we'd uh we'd try it out here on the show and have a little fun yeah, no, that's great. I was going to say, it's one of those things, too, where it's a question that a lot of people ask in California and L.A. You know, you'll, you'll get girls on dates, BJ, but, you know, people my girls, age. Wait a minute, ask, you guys really, the, the, are you guys still they'll ask dating? You what your si- uh, no, they'll ask, what's your sign? And you're like, oh, no, this is not good. Uh, but this is a good, this is a good version of that, what's your sign? Uh, I thought it was all virtual now, you know? It's, yeah, uh, back in the day, oh, back, back in the, in the day. day. Back, back in the old day, back in the old day. I'll go first here. Okay. What's my sign? Uh, I'll throw it up to the world. ELE. Um, which is everybody love everybody. Um, that's what we need. We need love. I want everyone. I, I want, I want love in the world. I want more love. I want to share love. I need more love. So that's my sign. Give some love to the world. ELE. Okay. I like it. I like E-L-E. it. Um, here's my sign. I thought about this, thought about it 
deep and hard. I've had a long time to think about this. And here's, here's how to go. Sometimes it falls upon a generation to be mm. great. That's my mm. sign. That's deep. <laughs> I don't know if it's deep. There you have it. Those are our signs. Uh, I, I want the generation to be great, BJ. I want to be a part of a great generation. We've had a lot of not-so-great generations, uh, and, and uh, we, we need some better. We've had great people yes, in those generations, yes. but not great generations as a whole. And we talked about it on the show. The only way to move forward is to be united. We want the NBA to be united. Uh, we, we want our listeners to be united. And uh, we're going to be united in the love of basketball because we're going to talk to a basketball lifer right now, Coach Tom Thibodeau. You know, Coach, one of the things is what would the game look like, right? Now we know this game is pace and space. It's being dominated by screen roll. What do you think the actual game will resemble? Like, will it slow down? Will it resemble the 80s, 90s era? What do you think the game will actually look like? Well, I think the eight playing games or the seeding games, uh, whatever you want to call it, I think you're, you're going to see a little trial and error there in, in People will sort of get up to speed, almost like you would uh, a preseason where you had eight games, because most teams would go into training camp with the idea it's not just one week, it's the entire month. And so you're probably going to see some of that. But I think once you get to the playoffs, I don't think that's going to change. I think the same things that have won over a long period of time, uh, and that's what makes NBA basketball so exciting, is, is it's a seven-game series. So it's a lot different than college where it's, you know, one game and it's either you move on to another opponent or you're out. So this is a, it's, it's a far greater challenge. And I think in terms of your offense, I think you have to have a number of different ways and you have to have diversity to your offense because what works in one game may not work in the next game. So I think when you start your planning, you're thinking about all the things that you're going to need throughout the course of the playoffs. So you start planning accordingly right from the beginning. I think it's important to begin with the end in mind. Now the challenge will be uh, with your, your load management and sports science people, you know, when they come up with whatever amount of minutes you'll be allowed to practice, and obviously you're gonna have to gradually build up, uh, that's gonna be the real challenge. Like how do we get the stuff in that we're going to need and also get the players up to speed where they start taking on contact. And then as BJ, as you know, uh, as being a, a former player, conditioning is one thing, but NBA basketball is a whole different level and the physical part of that. And the, you know, when you're body on body contact, it's, it's a lot. So I think you gotta be careful. I think you gotta trust your medical people in terms of, okay, how much scrimmaging can we do? Uh, and you're probably gonna have a, a predetermined uh, plan where you know you you'll probably go you won't go more than three days without a day off and you might go you know two days you know hard and one day very light and so I think you have to plan that and gradually build up so where you, where you get to the point where um, you know you're you feel like you're ready to play now the thing the other thing that's going to be far different is throw home court out the window <laughs> because right. now you have no fans there. Yep. So that that's a lot different. And I don't know if they come back to maybe you, you give it a higher seated team uh, something that gives them somewhat of an advantage, whether it's an extra challenge, an extra timeout, whatever it is. You, you, 
like you played 60 something games and you've already, if you had the eight, you know, you'll be in the low seventies. And if you earned home court advantage, you should have something for that. Um, but I think, you know, everyone's trying to come up with the best possible, possible scenarios and it's not easy. You know, I, I've never, I've never asked a coach this, so I want to ask you this. <laughs> All right. When you coach, especially in the playoffs at home, there's a certain rotation that you have. And then there's a different way that you would coach and shorten your rotation for the most part when you go on the road. Do you think subconsciously that will be affected because you're playing in these neutral site? I mean, because you kind of, you, you know, you seem to have the, the home crowd, the coaches for the most part, they like to go to their bench early or they're more comfortable with their bench at home than they are on the road. Do you think that would be played so differently now that it, yeah. these are like basically neutral sites? BJ, you're making a good point. I think, you know, as you mentioned, if, if you studied it historically, the bench has played better at home. And so, uh, and if you also study the playoffs, what you see is most teams get down to a nine man rotation initially, then it becomes eight. And as we saw with Toronto, Last year, it was basically seven and a half. And so, uh, in, in, I know from watching you in the last dance, where you're <laughs> all the time, <laughs> you know, like you guys did a great job. I always thought you you had two or your th three main guys on the floor all the time. So it was very difficult right. to sub an entire bench in. So I think we'll, you'll see some of that. But I do think having depth uh, for this will be huge. Uh, when you look at some of the teams, you take the, the Clippers, for example, I think having five guys that are capable of scoring 20 points could be a, a big benefit for them. Coach, one of the other things I wanted to ask about as far as gameplay itself, you mentioned the seven-game series. That's what makes the, the NBA unique. And, and BJ talked about uh, in the NCAA tournament, if you had a team that would press, that's a hard thing to prep for. Um, do you think if a team has depth, do, do would they get some young guys? Would they try to press in one of these games to try to steal a game to get an upset, especially without home crowd or being on the – is there any sort of a situation where you could see some different kind of coaching strategies like that? Where well, we could I think pressing? what we're seeing now is, you know, you're seeing a little more zone. But I think the mm -hmm. hard thing is with, uh, you know, like with zone is the more shooting you have on the floor, the more vulnerable you're going to be. But I think – People are using that to change the rhythm of the game. We may see some extended defenses after uh, free throws, but I think like the value of a press really historically, if you study it, is that you wear teams down. And so uh, and ideally, like so you would sub almost five at a time, and you don't do that in the NBA because your stars have to be out there for a majority of the time. And usually what you'll find when you look at matchups is like, for example, take the, the Lakers uh, in the Clippers. Uh, when LeBron is on the floor, Kawhi will be on the floor. When, and vice versa, when they go out, they'll, they'll probably be going out together. And I think you see that sort of matchup. So I don't know if you'd see like, a you know, 48 minutes of that. But I think to change it up, you might see some of that uh, after a, a, a free throw where you might see a 2-2-1 two, two, and fall back into a 2, two uh, a two-three or one-two-two, two. So, something that can that can disrupt timing and rhythm, uh, particularly where you're seeing so much pace and space. How do you disrupt that? And uh, as you know, all the rule changes have been really geared towards the offense, and where you, you the physicality's been taken out, 
So I think doing things like that can disrupt rhythm. And it's certainly something that you have to think about. You know, Coach, you, you have this enormous reputation as a defensive coach. And I all every time you and I talk and we talk about basketball, you have a, a phenomenal understanding of offensive schemes and offensive. And I don't think you get enough credit for your understanding of offense which I think that's probably why you have such an incredible reputation on the defensive end. Offensively, what would be your ideal way to play, knowing what you know about defense and all of the schemes and you being around the game like yeah. you have? And I think we see that in the NBA. The NBA game never stays the same. It's always changing. It's always evolving. And so, BJ, you remember in the 90s, it was really physical and slow and you had power forwards that were playing small forward, and it was just a big, bruising, slow game. Then when the rule changes came in, it brought more skill and speed into it, so it changed the game. And now what we're seeing is we're seeing small forwards who are playing a power forward position. It's almost positionless, and there's a lot more shooting on the floor. There's more speed, and they wanted to open up the game. So all the rule changes, I think, have benefited the game greatly. We've seen a great game. Uh, the popularity is through the roof. So all that stuff is work. And I think what we're seeing now is, uh, you know, the skill level of all the players, particularly the big guys. Now we get, we have centers that are shooting threes and we're seeing five out, which is setting up driving kick. And I think understanding the value of shots is really important. And then, but I think what wins still goes back to knowing who you are as a player and what do you do well? So if you're a great shooter, a great three point shooter, you try to get as many of those shots as you can. And obviously, I think the transition three is is, is a, a great rhythm shot, particularly the weak side three in transition, the corner three, obviously. But the penetrate and kick is so valuable. And if you're a good driver, to get into the restricted, and if you uh, a guy like Jimmy Butler, like I knew when we got him to Minnesota, we would have a great offense because of what he brings to, to an offense. His penetration and decision making is going to get you very high percentage shots and high point value shots. So he's great at getting to the free throw line. He has a great awareness of who, who his shooters are. In the fourth quarter, his decision making is impeccable. Uh, he's going to make the right plays. If you're a cutter, right, you have to read and know and time up your cuts and know how to create those opportunities. Oftentimes, Lou Aldang is a great cutter for us in Chicago. And often he and Derek had great connection. Derek penetrated. He knew Luau would be cutting through the elbow. And we used to get uh, a lot of layups because of that. Uh, but I think playing to your strengths, playing smart. And it's, you know, everyone is saying, you know, obviously you want to shoot a high volume of three-point shots. And, you know, the corner three obviously being worth what it is. It's something that you want to search out. But I think the weak side three in transition you see a lot of offensive rebounds now, scramble situations that are kicked out for the three. So how, how do you create those shots? And every player has a strength. And, and, you know, I think when you look at Golden State, the way they, they got to those shots, it wasn't just Steph and Clay, you know, shooting threes, which, you know, obviously they did a great job with that. But they used Draymond in the post to create the split game to get lambs. Uh, they used catch and shoot with Steph. They used back screening with Steph. Uh, Andre Iguodala handled the ball up top. Uh, Draymond handled the ball up top. So I think 
figuring out what your players do well and finding a system that can work effectively for them to create the type of shots that give you the best chance of winning. Because I think oftentimes it gets misconstrued that if you take the wrong shots, if they're in their low, uh, low percentage shots, oftentimes that compromises your defense. Mm-hmm. So I think knowing when to what shots are high value shots, and I think Milwaukee does a phenomenal job. They shoot a lot of threes and they're good threes. And how they get to them, the way they space the floor. But there's there's teams that you know think that taking high volume. It's not just high volume; it's the efficiency that goes along with the high volume. Yeah, and, what, and the team that you just mentioned, Coach, the Bucks. I mean, one of the players we talked about, BJ and I, you know, was Brooke Lopez, who is obviously he has the the post game, like we talked about, he has the old school big man game, but he also has the ability to to stretch out and go to the three point line and, and cause problems. And when, when you have guys like that, do you see? Do you think that we have a chance to see the big man, BJ and I? We love the bigs here. Do you think the big man will have a a, a sort of a revamped status as we get to this 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 gameplay when we're down in Orlando? I do, and I think Milwaukee's added more post-ups. I thought that was something they may have lacked last year a little bit, but I love the way they space the floor. And having Brooke, you know, they keep the middle of the floor open, but having him go to the corners, you don't know where he's going to be in transition. So that makes it a little more difficult in terms of how you match up. But uh, I like what they're doing, and I also like what they're doing with uh, Giannis uh, this year, moving him around to different spots. But I think if we go back to Toronto, uh, and again, they used a, a variety of different things. And obviously, Kawhi was, had the ball in his hands a lot and ran pick and roll and isolation, post-ups. But I thought when, when Kawhi went out and when they posted Siakam, that gave him a different way to get to high percentage shots. And sometimes, you know, the post-up is not really a post-up. It's a false action to force a defense to collapse to create a wide open three or, or get the layup. So I think what you do in off of that, and then they ran, you know, the catch and shoot for, for Kyle and and Van Fleet and also mixing in pick and roll with those guys. There was a lot of diversity to their offense. I really liked the way they ran their offense last year, particularly in the playoffs. Hey coach, you you know, as you look at these teams that they're heading down and, and clearly you have the Lakers, you have the Clippers, Milwaukee, those teams do any of these teams stand out to you or who would you choose if you had to choose who would be in the finals this year based on what you know I know you're good friends with all of these coaches here Doc Rivers as you look at these teams and you're going into this who would you choose or say it has an advantage based on the team as the as it is and as we're heading down to this basically a tournament well, yeah, it's, that's a great way to characterize it. It's, it feels like a tournament. It feels like a summer league almost. But, yeah. uh, you know, I think we were all, like, looking forward to uh, seeing the Lakers and the Clippers. I mean, I, the, the year that the, the Lakers have had, you, you can't take anything away from them. The way, the way LeBron has played is, is just incredible. But I think their length is, is a huge factor. You know, I think that they're – they're obviously a great defensive team, and anytime you have LeBron the way he, he's played and at that level, uh, they'll be tough to beat. Uh, you know the thing with the Clippers, you know that as I mentioned, I think they have you know they have five twenty point scorers. They have Kawhi, which is you know that matchup. I think everyone's looking forward to seeing Kawhi and, and LeBron you know go at it. Uh, but it's it's their depth, and no one really knows who the Clippers are because their whole team has not played a lot of games together. So they were 
actually, I thought they were just hitting stride when, when unfortunately, I believe that was like March 10th or 11th when, when the league shut down. And so that last month was going to be critical for them. So I'm curious to see where they pick up. And when you look in the East, I think, you know, a team like Milwaukee, like when you look at their numbers, they're staggering. Like net efficiency is through the roof, historically great. Uh, Giannis, it feels like he's going to a completely different level. Uh, you know, I think you could put him in that category with, uh, you know, LeBron and uh, Kawhi. And uh, so it, it, it makes for, uh, you know, very interesting basketball. I think uh, teams like uh, when you look at, a, you know, a Toronto, the way they played, uh, Boston, I think is a wild card in this. Uh, Miami, I think, could, could surprise it. The thing is, is you don't know, you know, where these teams are going to pick up. So it'll be it'll be exciting. I think, you know, we all want to see great competition. We want to see those head-to-head matchups. So, and that's what makes uh, NBA playoff basketball, to me, so exciting. Hey, hey Coach, you, you mentioned Giannis. And I don't know if, what you think of Giannis or what have you. I think he's a very unique player. But technically speaking, what do you, what would you try to do and how would you prepare for him? Like he's a very unique, he's probably as unique of a player that I've seen, but technically speaking, right? We all see the numbers. He's put up massive numbers and so forth, but technically speaking, how would you prepare to defend him, play against a team? Because he does so many things. Well, he's a very unique player. He hasn't, he doesn't have a consistent jump shot yet. But what would you try to do from him just, you know, just looking at the game and technically saying we have to prepare to play against a, a talent like Giannis? Yeah, I think and if you study his career and you see the growth that he's made year to year, his body looks a lot different. Uh, his confidence has gone through the roof. Uh, you could always see the talent, but when you combine that with the drive that he has and the commitment to make his teammates better, because it's not only what he's doing individually, now, his stats really stand out if you look at what the way he scores and rebounds and he does all that. But and the thing that really jumps out at you is how he's made his teammates better and the winning that he's done. And so this is a guy who, who knows where he ends up, but he has all the characteristics of an all-time great type player. And as you said, it, it's like he, there's nothing that he can't do and you can see him gaining confidence in shooting threes and he brings the ball up. His one-man breaks are virtually impossible to stop. But again, I, I think when you go back and you watch uh, what Toronto did, and that you you got to load up to him. You, if you give him a scene, and he's still, he's he, you know, his size makes him very unique in, in that he can see over people and he, he'll identify shooters that he's trying to get, particularly at the end of the shot clock, in the quarters. Uh, when you double team him, he'll, he'll, he makes those passes. But I think you've got to get the ball out of his hands in transition. So I think you've got he's got to see a, a lot of bodies. He's, you've got to slow him down there. And then, you know, it's the same thing. When he goes into the post, he's, he's tough to stop. You know, you've got to swarm and get the ball out of his hands there. I'd double team him there. Uh, but he's just... And they've done a, a really good job of continuing to build their offense. They're uh, a terrific team uh, offensively. I think they've gotten a lot out of all their players. 
And is, coach, is there someone that you've seen like a, a game plan? I know you watch, you know, obviously you're watching all these games. Uh, is there, I saw the heat, they had Bam Adebayo playing against Giannis Antetokounmpo and that was a good matchup at one point. The Sixers put Ben Simmons on him at one point. It just seems like what you're saying is try to throw as many different things at him. It, it almost feels like a very Jordan rules kind of thing with Giannis almost. Yeah. And I think you have to do that with all great players. And so, uh, and I think, uh, you know, and we saw some of that with the way Toronto defended him. And I think he's, he'll see when you have a great player like that, they're going to see more than one defender. You're not going to stop those guys. And I like when you have multiple guys that you could throw at them, it's, it takes him out a little bit out of rhythm. Mm -hmm. So I think, and you probably have to have two or three guys that you feel comfortable with that are going to make him work. He's going to get points, but you got to make him work for those points. And, uh, you know, the, the one thing is that I know if he has a scene, uh, it's going to be a problem. You know, it's going to be a score and, and one and foul trouble. And the, the, the thing that you can't overlook is, you know, the, the way he draws attention and draws fouls and that sort of thing gets them to the bonus early. Mm -hmm. And that, that's, that could be another, you know, you, you start talking about the value of points, the, you know, free throws, high value, uh, you know, the open threes, the layups, all those things. So I think the commitment that you have to, everyone has to understand that, that you know, this can't be like a one man thing. This has to be a team that, and you got to give them different reads. I don't think you can stay with a steady diet, you know, like you, you have to give them different things to look at. And coach, I have to ask you because you are a basketball lifer, uh, New Britain, Connecticut, you're in the hall of fame there. Uh, I, I looked that up and saw that in 1998. Congratulations on that. Um, what do you think the advantage is being a basketball lifer, being someone like you that, that is so dedicated to the game because we, they're talking about replacement players and you talked about knowing tendencies of guys being someone that knows the game so well and is so well-versed and been around it for so long. What does that give you in a locker room when you have so, such different player personnel and being able to get people to mesh together? Uh, do you think that gives you a, a significant advantage because personally as a fan it always feels like that is the case well i think you know you, you you go back to all your past experiences what what's similar uh and as i mentioned you try to get around as many you know people as possible that have done great things i you know for me coaching it, team usa and I, you know obviously i worked with doc rivers jeff van gundy uh brendan malone it wasn't just you know great head coaches great assistant coaches you know, great college coaches. And the, the thing that stood out, you know, being around uh, Coach K, and Jim Beheim, and, uh, Jerry Colangelo, were these Hall of Fame guys that were still, like, they still wanted to do great things and were driven to continue to learn. And you always want to add, you don't want to stay the same. And so, and to also understand everything's always moving. It's uh, whether it's the game, uh, it's whether, you know, the, the players that are coming into the league. Uh, so that's the challenge. So uh, the thing that will be interesting to me in watching how this unfolds is I, I guess the thing that you would draw from the most would be how you get ready for uh, uh, a season in which you're, you were in a lockout. And I think 99 was, you know, was a 50-game uh, season. But this one's much different. So it's eight games. It's not even all, all the teams. We're talking 22 teams. And then a, a playoff. So I, I think everyone's, you know, trying to figure out what's the best way to manage this. Uh, the, the one thing is I would say that there's a lot more information that you can take now in terms of getting your team ready for what will be 
uh, a season that will start very quickly and you'll be in the middle of it very fast, you know, and, and, I, and I, as I mentioned, with the home court not really being a factor, uh, you know, that we can, we might see some upsets here. Like mm-hmm. if you're not ready and, you know, you know the, the lower seat comes in and steals one of those games, you could be at a, at a big disadvantage. And uh, I know you're going to be back in the NBA with no time because someone with your level and understanding of the game, there's no way you're you're a force. All the players that I've ever represented over the years, they've always hold you in the highest regard. We hold you in the highest regard here. And uh, just want to let you know you're always welcome here with us. And uh, thanks again, Coach, for coming on and what you've done to the game and, and what you've done as a mentor for so many young people that you've affected you know, over the years and your commitment to the game, because when we say a basketball lifer, um, your name is in there. <laughs> your name, you are there. And uh, we respect that so much, Coach. And thank you again for coming on. And uh, thank you for having me. And BJ, uh, feelings mutual. I've, I've certainly appreciated our friendship and all the things that you helped me with along the way. And, uh, you know, good luck with this podcast. I know it's going to be a home run. Everything you touch is. So uh, thanks again. And I look forward to seeing you down the road. Okay. Thanks, Coach. Coach. All right. Be well.